One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. People are anxious about losing their job, about unemployment rising. We're not just going to accept this. People need to know we will do all we can to give everyone the opportunity of good and secure work. People need to know that although hardship lies ahead, no one will be left without hope. Rishi Sunak isn't the only one who's anxious. There are 9.5 million people furloughed in the UK, their lives in limbo and uncertain as to whether the coming weeks will see them heading back to work or jobless. There are as many as 3 million people economically stranded, without support, whether they're freelancers, new starters or self-employed, people who don't qualify for any of the government schemes. And there are roughly half a million people who graduate this summer, joining a labour market where one-third of 18 to 24-year-olds have been furloughed or laid off. The anxiety is infectious, unemployment is spreading. Meanwhile, there's a brisk trade these days in profiles of Mr Sunak, each of them cutting and pasting, cantering through much the same details of the Chancellor's life. Son of a GP and pharmacist, a family of Hindu Punjabis from East Africa who settled in Southampton in the 1960s. School at Winchester, PPE at Oxford, Goldman Sachs then into hedge funds, his marriage to Akshata, the daughter of a billionaire Indian tech entrepreneur, elected to Parliament in 2015, a zippy dresser, teetotal, teenage Eurosceptic, charming and courteous, and then these profiles are typically signed off with an admiring quote from a friend or someone who wants to be, and they end, invariably, with the calculus on his chances of becoming Prime Minister. But forget Mr Sunak's job prospects. What about everybody else's? What does his record, five months in office as Chancellor, tell us about how he will fight on the second front of the pandemic, the economic contagion of unemployment. I'm James Harding, the editor and co-founder of Tortoise, and this is Rishi Sunak. Is he really the man for the job? We've passed on all we know. and generations live in you now. But this is your fight. On the evening of December the 20th last year, Rishi Sunak went out for the evening to see the final episode of the Star Wars saga, The Rise of Skywalker with his then-boss, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Sajid Javid. Just over 50 days later, Javid was out. Sunak 
was in. The rise of the Chancellor had begun. Because no doubt, Mr Sunak is a fresh and welcome political talent. He promises to be the most important appointment of Boris Johnson's premiership, not as noisy as Dominic Cummings, but much more impactful. He'd barely found the coffee machine, to be sure, when the pandemic struck, and he has already proved diligent and decent, a modern, sympathetic communicator. He passes that first essential test of political leadership. He can speak to the moment. And I will do whatever it takes to support the economy. And he can speak, hopefully, to the future. I believe in the British people's fortitude and endurance. And it is that value, endurance more than any other, we need to embody now. A patience to live with the uncertainty of the moment, to find that new balance between safety and normality. So far, Mr Sunak is a man who has his party, not to mention a fair section of the press pack and a good deal of the public, swooning. Sunak's has been a meteoric rise. Aides in Downing Street complain they can't get clone Rishi. He's extremely competent, he's extremely sharp. An incredible sort of personal branding. Quite remarkable. Rishi Sunak is a future Prime Minister. The hard-bitten pack of lobby journalists have turned their gaze from Boris Johnson to Rishi Sunak, as if they were having their own Bridget Jones moment en masse. Having fallen for the Hugh Grant charming ne'er-do-well, they're beginning to have feelings for the Colin Firth straight man. And by the looks of the polls, the public feel something similar. The YouGov polling numbers after his summer statement on July the 8th had nearly six out of ten people saying they thought he was doing a good job as Chancellor. Just one out of ten saying he wasn't. Boris Johnson, by the way, has 50% of people thinking he's not done a good job in his first year, 46% saying... He has. Mr Sunak's public image is no accident. There are some jobs he has indisputably created, and they're in his own team, his own PR team. He's hired Cass Horowitz, the son of Anthony Horowitz, author of the Alex Ryder series and founder of the creative agency, the Clerkenwell Brothers. You can hear the backing track to their sizzle reel now. The Clerkenwell brothers design strategies that straddle social media and TV. As they put it, imagine David and Goliath, we are your slingshot. He's also hired Allegra Stratton, an old friend of his. She recently moved from ITV to run strategic comms. Just to note, Allegra and I were colleagues for a while at the BBC. Together, the Sunak comms team is showing the way to turn a chancellor into a social media channel. It's not just that the photo ops are carefully choreographed. That's been true for any politician with an ounce of ambition since Ronald Reagan brought Hollywood production values to the presidency. It's that Rishi Sunak has had the digital consultancy treatment. His Twitter and Instagram announcements are stamped with a Rishi Sunak signature. Tax policy branded like designer jeans. His posts are a festival of fonts and primary colours graphic design, and his social media team is working the algorithm. There's a parlour game in Westminster these days, parodying brand Rishi. But pretty soon, you watch. His parliamentary colleagues won't be parodying, they'll be plagiarising the techniques. That said, one of the foibles of us journalists 
is that we report what we understand and what doesn't matter over what we don't that does. Economics is complicated at the best of times. Right now, it's unknowable. The government is meeting a test like no other because the virus is new and partially understood. Its impact on livelihoods just as unpredictable. Political reporters generally struggle to keep score on economic policy and keep track of business confidence in normal times. But in 2020, it's a wildly moving target, and unemployment threatens at a scale that goes beyond anyone's lived experience. To put the coming unemployment crisis in some context, consider this. The 2008-2009 financial crisis... Not in generations has Wall Street absorbed the number of body blows it took today. ...delivered a 6% hit to GDP, but it knocked just 2.8% off the employment rate. In the 1990s recession, well... Good evening. It may be a happy Christmas, but it's going to be a tough New Year for industry... And it saw GDP contract by 3%, but it hit employment much harder, at 4.5%. The recession, which the new chancellor now acknowledges, is deep. And then go back to the 1980s. The 1980s recession saw GDP down 5%, employment down 6%. Depressing times, difficult times, for the world and for us here in Britain. As the recession bites deeper, the northwest of England is particularly hard hit. But the reality of Britain's record unemployment rate remains. We will have become a declining third world nation. As the Chancellor takes three billion more out of the economy, his critics say the government's monetarist policy has failed. Now consider the numbers today. In 2020, the Bank of England, the OECD, private sector economists, they're forecasting a doubling, some even a tripling of the unemployment rate, from 3.9% to nearly 10%. Some, as I say, put it higher, between 11%, even up to 14%. That's a rise in the number of jobless people from 1.9 million to more than 4 million in a year. The last time the UK saw unemployment on anything like that scale, Neville Chamberlain was Chancellor of the Exchequer. At the Treasury today, in their back-to-back -back Microsoft Teams meetings, Mr Sunak and his team are looking at those same statistics. They're looking at all the same research. And the dominant fear is what's known as scarring, the damage that unemployment does to the life of an individual and those around them. If you look at the research, it can show you that people who've been out of work when they're young can be earning more than 10% less than their peers well into their 40s. Scarring, too, means the damage it does to certain industries and institutions, sometimes irreparably. And it's the damage it does to groups of people, particular groups of people, women, black, Asian and ethnic minority people, people living in poorer towns and the countryside. Listening to the daily news reports, it sometimes feels like you're cycling uphill. Just as you get to the crest of one hill, well, another one comes into view. The economic pain of COVID-19 will be deep and protracted and nowhere will be spared. The hardest hit regions have been the tourism and hospitality heavy southwest, as well as Northern Ireland and the southeast. Young women are kind of disproportionately affected because of the industries they work in. But the point is, it's the economics much more than the politics that's going to count. And since his first budget at the beginning of March, 
each week has seen Mr Sunak playing catch-up with his last announcement. The 11th of March budget was an act of wishful thinking. The Chancellor offered a laundry list of giveaways, each of course with their own tweet. There was one for football pitches, one for flood defences, one for tax breaks for veterans, another for sanitary products, another action on fly tipping, one on deals on fuel duty. It was the standard fare of an aspiring politician, an assured debut no doubt at the dispatch box, a ticking off of lobbies, a playing to the gallery, waiting and seeing. It was as if we were in normal times. But even by then, we knew we weren't. No one died of COVID-19 in the UK that day, March the 11th. But nearly 200 people died in Italy, and more than 2,000 new cases were reported in that country in 24 hours. The Chancellor earmarked just £7 billion to fill the coming coronavirus hole in the economy. Taken together, the extraordinary measures I have set out today represent £7 billion to support... And before he even sat down, it was clear he'd have to get back up again. And so he did. A week later, 17th of March, Mr Sunak was back. I can announce today an unprecedented package of government-backed and guaranteed loans to support business to get through this. This time throwing £330 billion. An initial £330 billion of guarantees. Equivalent to 15% of GDP behind loans to support businesses. But even before the scheme was announced, he'd been warned that distributing the money through the commercial banks wouldn't work. And it didn't. By the end of April... The Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan Scheme, lovably acronymed SIBLS, had managed to get only £4 billion out of the door, just over 1% of the money allocated. He stepped into with a future fund for startups, which for different reasons hasn't worked much either. And throughout April, as companies were shut down and fearful for their future, and the Prime Minister was off sick, the Chancellor made just three appearances at the Downing Street press conference. It was only at the end of the month, on April the 27th, that the Chancellor announced the bounce-back loans. And they, within a day, had funnelled half as much money into businesses as the Sibyls had in six weeks. It was a week after the Sibyls' announcement, on March the 20th, that the Chancellor was back with the biggest announcement so far of his time in office. The announcement of the job retention scheme. Today I can announce that for the first time in our history, the government is going to step in and help to pay people's wages. We're setting up a new coronavirus job retention scheme. The furlough, a term we'd never heard before, one that few of us could spell, and is now, let's face it, the word of 2020. Of course, as it happens, he had to come back a week after that, on March the 26th, with something similar, a furlough scheme for the self-employed. And all of this, all of this coming back... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Might well be seen as evidence of his iterative, fleet-of-foot response to the recession, or it's something else—the pattern of a chancellor whose weakness is to hope for the best, whose interventions come a week late and a pound short. To be sure, the Chancellor has not acted on the cheap. There's never been anything on the scale of the furlough schemes, either in financial or human terms, and it has not only kept millions of people at home with the hope of a job to go back to, but, and this is not often said, it has meant that the government has, in effect, put its people under house arrest for months, and it's been largely crime-free and peaceful. But the real tests, as Mr Sunak and his team in Number 11 know, lie ahead, not behind them. They lie in the months to come. Lockdown was drastic, but in its own way, sweeping and simple. The restart is much more complicated and treacherous. Economies lag. Autumn looms. As the days get shorter after the summer, the hopes start dimming for countless businesses. Many simply don't have the reserves to make it through another lockdown, local or national, Others can't see how to make ends meet if they have to observe social distancing rules and operate with half their tables empty or half their offices full. Mr Sunak's decision to ratchet up the costs for employers of keeping people on furlough in August, then September and October means the twilight world of furlough is coming to an end. Redundancies, in their hundreds of thousands, come next. On July the 8th, when Mr Sunak delivered his summer statement, the rabbit-out-of-the-hat moment was the Chancellor's eat-out-to-help-out plan, a one-off £10-per-person discount at bars and restaurants on Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays in August. To be fair, I've always thought that there's a devil's bargain behind these budget gimmicks. The Chancellor's team wants to control the next day's front pages, and so they throw something shiny in. In this case, eat-out-to-help-out with a Wagamama's photo op attached. And, with our magpie minds, we in the media play along. Sure enough, Dishy Rishi carrying two plates of food is on the front pages and leading the bulletins. We've allowed the newest, shiniest, most eye-catching image to overwhelm the real judgment call, the big idea. And it also, by the way, says something interesting about the Treasury's feel for business, that many restaurants themselves say they can't see how Eat Out to Help Out will work. They just don't have enough working cash in their weekly budgets to be knocking £10 off each bill and recouping the money later. But let's go back to the real judgment call. 
The pivotal decision in the summer statement, the one that will pursue Mr Sunak into the autumn, was the categoric closure of the furlough scheme in October. I'm also sure that if I say the scheme must end in October, critics will say it should end in November. If I say it should end in November, critics will just say December. But the truth is, calling for endless extensions to the furlough is just as irresponsible as it would have been back in June to end the scheme overnight. We have to be honest. Leaving the furlough scheme open forever gives people false hope that it will always be possible to return to the jobs they had before. Other countries in Europe, France and Germany, have extended their schemes out into the future. But from the start, the Treasury's biggest fear about furlough was not that people would resent the scheme, but that they would love it, that they would stay at home and have little incentive to come back to work. And so the arguments for closing the JRS were one, financial, it's cost nearly £30 billion so far and scheduled to cost £80 billion by the time it closes in October. Two, philosophical, conservatives believe in market forces, not state subsidies. Three, political, the longer that the furlough period continues, the bigger the price, both in jobs and tax revenues, of closing it down. And then also, practical. It's hard to put in place new job support schemes while the furlough scheme is still in operation. And the Treasury's priority has been keeping people in the jobs that they have, not trying to find them new ones. Hence, the £1,000 retention bonus for employees. But consider this. As yet, there are no plans for job support for industries that can't reopen. No link between future support and demand, the revival of the economy. No tie-up between job support and possible local lockdowns. No partial furlough for companies that can only partially open. So when the job losses come, many people will point to the Chancellor's decision to close the JRS. Unless and until, that is, we see Furlough 2, the sequel. All the while, and with each passing week, bigger, arguably more searching questions attend on Mr Sunak's policy choices. Take the Test and Trace programme. Nearly a quarter of people are either not responding or have not been reached by the Test and Trace programme. In some areas, like Luton, Rochdale, Oldham, Blackburn, it's closer to half of the people where no contact is made. And one of the main reasons for this is economics. If contacted and asked to isolate for 14 days, people are in effect being asked to give up their incomes and instead take £96 per week statutory sick pay. Employers have to pay it, and many of them just can't fund it. Employees, meanwhile, many of whom already have drained their savings, can't afford it either. So it's little wonder that so many people on low incomes are not answering the test and trace call. When the phone rings, they're not picking up. And if, as is likely, the next round of infections continues to hit the poorest and people on precarious contracts, well then the finger of blame is going to point not just to the virus, but to the Chancellor for failing to make self-isolation economically viable there will be a direct line from economic policy to the mortality numbers. It will lead to Mr Sunak's door. The excluded, those people who've never really had access to any government support scheme, they're beginning to get organised. Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert journalist, has become their champion. Two parliamentary committees have weighed in, 
criticising the Chancellor. The scheme the government introduced was very rushed. There were gaps in it which were quite quickly plugged, but there are still gaps now with some people like who've been completely left out of the system. There's a smug old Rishi kind of going around saying how good a job he's done, but he's forgotten millions. There's millions of us that have forgotten. Uh-huh. Um, I'm devastated by it. I just don't know what to do. And so he finds himself at odds with the newly self-employed the self-employed earning over £50,000 a year, those earning less than 50% of their income from self-employment, the new starters, those denied furlough, the PAYE freelancers, those who pay themselves through dividends as limited company directors. You get the point. All these people have watched as others get government assistance through the lockdown, and they get none. The Treasury has explanations for why none of them qualify, but three million people is not a disaffected lobby group. It's the population of Wales. The refusal so far to tailor support to sectors in particular trouble is increasingly untenable. With the exception of a £1.6 billion package for the arts sector, Mr Sunak has preferred so-called horizontal interventions that offer support across the whole economy. But the pandemic is not nearly so even-handed. It hits some industries worse than others. It is sectoral. The stock markets are booming. The financial services industry is so far ticking along nicely. Online retail has leapt five years in three months, and Jeff Bezos, frankly, must be pinching himself. But airlines and tourism? Universities reliant on overseas students? Conference businesses? City centre shops and restaurants dependent on office workers? Theatres, nightclubs, cinemas and museums? Pubs and restaurants, and particularly the food supply chain? Well, they can't see how they will get fully back to work this year, if at all. And as the closures and redundancies pile up, they're going to cluster in and around certain groups of people and places. Unemployment will be generational, gendered and geographical. Younger, more female and tougher on those poorer areas. And finally, there's the biggest unanswered question of all. How is the government going to pay for all this? Of course, when Mr Sunak entered Parliament, he subscribed to Tory orthodoxies. Under this government, Britain will live within its means. No more irresponsible borrowing. No more spiralling debt at the taxpayer's expense. No more passing the debt to the next generation. Well, that was then. Rishi Sunak has spent and borrowed on a scale like no Chancellor, Labour or Conservative, before him. The Office for Budget Responsibility, which keeps track of these things, can't confidently tot up government spending for the year. It's estimating an extra £300 To give that sum a little context, the government had been due to borrow a further £55 billion in the course of this financial year. It borrowed £100 billion in a couple of months. Today, Mr Sunak prides himself on not being bound by old partisan orthodoxies. We entered this crisis unencumbered by dogma and we continue in this spirit, driven always by the simple desire to do what is right. And here, in fact, he finds himself largely endorsed by economists on left and right. This recession, for all the clichéd overuse of the word, is unprecedented. Governments, globally, have mandated the shutdown of the economy. They're going to have to fund it through debt. In time, 
the only way to pay down those debts is to raise taxes, to cut government spending, to let inflation rip and reduce the relative value of the debt, or to come to an international agreement on debt forgiveness. This last one, to be clear, is generally dismissed by economists these days. But I'd say if it was good enough for John Maynard Keynes as he set out in Economic Consequences of the Peace, it'll no doubt be re-examined in the years to come. These are choices that will reshape the UK. They will redefine economic conservatism and government. And of course, they will determine Mr Sunak's place in history. His summer statement ended with a political flourish. The plan for jobs, as he called it, finished with a comment that was about the country, but also knowingly about him and his job too. Governments, much less people, rarely get to choose the moments that define them. What choice there is comes in how we respond. Mr Sunak's next big moment is still a few months off, possibly too far off. It's the budget in the autumn. And if you ask the Treasury what plans there are for paying down the debts that are mounting up, how the UK will respond, well, they'll tell you Mr Sunak is considering his options. So far, he's choosing none. Perhaps he's hoping, hoping that the recovery comes sooner and is steeper than many predict. Because hopefulness is a recurrent theme in Mr Sunak's response to the coronavirus. So far, reality has kept catching up with him. But his friends say that hopefulness is in his character. Others say that there's an economic virtue in being hopeful. A gloomy chancellor would sap confidence, depress demand and make matters materially worse. Hopefulness, it's to be hoped, will unleash the animal spirits of the economy and help put people back to work. Mr Sunak is, in more ways than one, the hopeful chancellor. listening today if you've enjoyed this podcast i think there's a really good chance that you'll enjoy all of the other journalism that we do at tortoise there are articles that you can read through our app and online and because we're an open newsroom there are a whole load of editorial meetings that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world you can shape our journalism and the stories that we tell. So just get our app and you can get access to everything that we do. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial for a 30 day free trial. Thanks and see you next week. Why is that so much more difficult than you think it is going to be? And why do we all speak in this funny voice? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm John Curtis. And I'm Rachel Wolfe. This week on Trendy, the monarchy. A year after the coronation, and as King Charles returns to work, what do we think of it? And how has that changed over time? To listen to the episode, search for Trendy on Tortoise News, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode.